0: Okay, why don't you rise for the reading of God's word? We are in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. This morning, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anyone else need a Bible? Matthew chapter 1. Can anyone guess what verse I'm going to be in? That's good. Who said that? Verse 1. Verse 1. Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah Begot Perez and Zira by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon and Nashon begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Verse 7, Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon and Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers, uh, and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Verse twelve. After they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel. And Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiad. Abiad begot Eliakim. Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achem. Achem begot Iliad. Iliad begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Mathen. Mathen begot Jacob. Verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for this word beginning the New Testament, Lord, the first 16 verses. This record, Lord, which climaxes, culminates in the birth of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we just come today just to recognize and praise you for so loving the world that you sent your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you. As your word says, you did not consider equality with the Father something to hold on to, but you made yourself nothing and became flesh, took the appearance of man. Lived a perfect life for us. Died on our behalf. And rose to heaven to give us new life. Open up your word to us this morning, Lord. Lord, that we would leave here filled with a Christmas message. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You may be seated. Some of you may be thinking, a genealogy, what are you doing to us? A genealogy, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Don't do this to us, not on Christmas, maybe Sunday night, where I can choose not to go. But listen, I can think of no better Christmas gift to give you than this one. It's full of gems and treasures and gifts. This tree, this family tree, Jesus' family tree. Tell you you want a Christmas tree, go to Jesus' family tree. That's where we're going to be this morning. I hope we can open up and this will just really just bring life to your own family tree as you're getting the gems from underneath it. But again, very first uh, words of the New Testament, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A genealogy is just a written record of descendants. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, The son of Abraham. Abraham. Who's that guy, Abraham? Well, in the book of Genesis, he is first mentioned. Book of Genesis, that first book of the Bible, chapter 1, we learn uh, in in Genesis that man was created in the image of God. Chapter 1, verse 26, God says this. He says, let us make man... In our image, you were made in the image of God that makes you completely, utterly, absolutely distinct from every other creature on planet Earth. Only you were made in the image of God. And man and woman, we, you, me, us, Man was created to have a full, rich, uninterrupted, unhurried relationship with God. That's what he was created for. That question does come up, by the way. You know, in the in life, what on earth is all this for? You were created to have... A rich, full, unerupted, unhurried. Can you imagine unhurried in America? Yes, unhurried relationship with the living God. And, he, you know, God, he, he did not make himself known to man to be some far distant deity that you get into contact with at church once a week uh, by chanting creeds, repeating ritualistic Prayers or uh, religious rites. No, we learn from the book of Psalms what we were created for. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. It says this You have shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's it. Just want to reflect on that this Christmas morning. That's why we were created. Can you put that up one more time, Derek? You have shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's a description of God, what God wanted for man. Every day, every hour, every minute, it was given to Adam and Eve. You know the story? They were deceived. Deceived by a serpent, the devil, into thinking there was something more than that, than the, uh, the pleasures forevermore, forevermore and the presence of fullness of joy. There's something more. And they sunk their teeth into the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The one thing they were prohibited from doing, that one thing, Man, we can relate to that. That one thing that they were told not to do, they did. They sunk their teeth into that fruit. God's judgment followed. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden, and instead of living in the fullness of of joy in God's kingdom, they began uh, to, uh, living filled with selfish ambition, trying to build their own kingdom. They wanted to be like God. The, uh, The devil said, you can be like God. Eat this fruit. It'll happen if you eat it. So they ate it, and they began to act. God says oh, he, he, there was judgment. They were cast out into the Garden of Eden, and they began to build their own kingdom. God said, go ahead. Try. Try it. What happened? They went into a downward spiral, and you can read it. Within one generation, they were killing each other. Think about that. They went from perfect... Absolutely always in the presence of the fullness of God's joy in one generation, they began to murder each other. Cain killed Abel. And then by Genesis chapter 6, it says this. Genesis chapter 6, it says this. This is what happened with their kingdom. It says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Just leave that up for a second. You know, every time I read this verse, I think to myself, this is the best I can do when I build my own kingdom. This is the best I can do. Can I imagine that. Getting to a place in my life where the, uh, that, uh, that the, every intent of my thought Every intent of my thought, meaning the very heart of every thought, is only evil sometimes? No, all the time. That's the best man can do. That's what he made of his own kingdom. That's pretty sobering. And then in Genesis chapter 6, verse 12, it says that God saw, he was sorry that he had made man on earth. And it says, the Lord said, I will destroy man who I, who I have created from the face of the earth. But Noah found uh, grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God brought a flood. He destroyed the world. He literally saved the world from itself because the, every, every human being, including Noah, eventually, would have, they would have consumed themselves by their own sin. That's what sin does. Sin consumes we're, we've read about that in Jeremiah and Lamentations on Sunday night that that if it was not for God's mercy the book of Lamentations said we would have been consumed if he had not preserved noah and his family we wouldn't be sitting here today god preserved mankind by a flood through noah from noah's seeds rather from noah's seed From his descendants, just a few generations later, came this man, Abraham. In chapter one, verse one of Matthew. Again, it says, verse one of Matthew, chapter one says what? The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, of the son of Abraham. Who was Abraham? Abraham was basically like any other man. He just lived in what we call today pagan idolatry. Every thought of his heart, every intent of his thoughts was only evil all the time. God, by his grace, totally by his grace, pulled him out of where he was living and said, I am going to make a nation out of you. And he uh, pointed him and had him leave the land of Babylon which is modern-day Iraq, to go to the land of Israel. And in so many words, in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, he said, I'm going to restore the world back to me through you and your descendants. Wow, that's a pretty important life calling, I would say. He told that to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to restore the world back to me through you and your descendants. The world has become hopelessly lost, but through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Through one of his descendants, all the nations of the, uh, of the earth will be blessed. So... A nation was born. It was Israel. Through Israel, God began to draw man back to himself. Through Israel, he began to teach the world who he was. He gave Israel the law. We see that in the book of Exodus. And now we take the law for granted, but we need to understand what we just just saw up here on the projector. At one time, it was completely lost to man. He had rejected God and had been swallowed up in the downward spiral of sin and and knew the law no more, didn't know anything about it. But through the seed of Abraham, this guy Abraham, mentioned here in chapter 1, verse 1, God begins to draw Man back in the process. Gives him the law. Here's my holiness. This is my righteousness. This is who I am. Uh, purity re-int- is reintroduced to the world. The law was given as a signpost point- pointing man to God. And God said to man, if you want to go to heaven... If you want to have everlasting life with me, you need to obey the law, all of it. Because heaven is so good, I don't allow one person into it unless they're perfect. Well, man soon found out he was far short of that law, that the law was powerless to save. Man found out he couldn't make peace between himself and God through this law. He was, and 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 over time, the law created in man an overwhelming sense of urgency and need for God's salvation. God, I need your salvation. And and so, uh, after the law, God, in response to this response, God sent the prophets, beginning with Moses, for a thousand years. There's a thousand year period right around the almost exactly a thousand years God sent prophets and what the prophets did every time man miserably failed they miserably failed the prophets would point to God and specifically to who the Messiah God's savior In the book of Isaiah, he said, there will be a child born to you, and on his shoulders will be all the government, all the burden of the world, and and he will be called Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And the prophets pointed continuously for 1,000 years to Messiah, Right up to the very last couple chapters of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, which is just a wonderful book pointing to Jesus. The last book of the Old Testament. And after that, what happened? Silence. For 400 years after the book of Malachi, silence from God, dead silence. But the silence was broken by what? It was broken by the cry of an infant, a baby, crying out in the night in the area of Palestine, modern-day Israel, outside the, uh, right in the city of Bethlehem, right outside of Jerusalem. It ended the silence ended. Man had tried to establish a kingdom on earth by his own devices. He had tried and tried and tried and tried. Every effort failed. He couldn't do it on his own, so God sent his own son. God sent himself in a way. Actually, Isaiah 63 verse 5 says this. This is God speaking in the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, again, pointing to the Messiah Before Jesus was born, he's in that thousand year period, says, I looked, but there was no one to help. This is God speaking. There was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me. Looking forward to the time where Jesus uh, would be, really, those words would be in his words, uh, himself he would actually get down in the synagogue and quote verses like this and say these verses were fulfilled in me these words are being fulfilled in your presence i look but there was no one to uphold there was no one to uphold there therefore my own arm brought salvation for me um, jesus Came and, and he declared that he fulfilled that. So Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Jesus is a Hebrew name meaning Jehovah saves or God saves. Christ is a title. It, more accurately, it's it, he's Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. He's the one, all the prophets who had been. Pointing towards. It says again, Jesus Christ, the son of David. What does that mean? David was a king of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel, but um, he was a wicked king. He represented the kind of king that they called out for and wanted, and God removed him and said, here's the kind of king I wanted, and he in David, God established the line that would eventually lead to Jesus. That's why it's called here in verse one: Jesus Christ, the Son of David. David himself was told in Second Samuel chapter seven, verse thirteen. He's told by God. He said, "Your throne, David, will be established forever." In Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, it says this: "For unto us a child is born." Unto us a son is given. And, and it says, upon the throne of David, Isaiah said, I will establish him, my son, my savior. So that is why in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, refers to Jesus as the son of David. And then, of course, it says the son of Abraham. We've already talked about Abraham. He was the first one called out by God to reestablish the world's knowledge of him and draw man back to himself. Now, the writer of this book, Matthew, was a Jew. And he was writing, actually, to Jews at the time. He thought he was writing to Jews. Actually, he was also writing to billions of other people as well. But at the time, he's thinking, I'm writing to Jews. And he knows, he if, if he's, if he's going to write a letter about the Messiah, he knew right up front he needed to give them a genealogy. Now, today, genealogies—I mean, you, you meet someone who's into genealogies, and and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, your great-great-great uncle was, um, uh, you know, George Washington's nephew. I think I get that, and you know, it's a little quirky, you know. Uh, people who were into genealogies and i 'm sorry if you don 't raise your hand if you 're into <laughs> genealogies but 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 uh, for for Jewish people, man, this is the thing they were into it. they were into it, and every devout Jewish family kept very careful gene- genealogical records of their own, interestingly enough, King Herod remember he tried to destroy jesus killed all the kids in bethlehem under 2 years of age he also burned all the records in the temple all the genealogies the written records in the temple they were kept there as well as being kept in families they were also kept in the temple because he seemed to think that that would prevent the messiah from ever replacing him because at the time that jesus was born everyone was wondering is the messiah going to gonna come the reason for that is that in the book of Daniel, one of the prophets, Daniel actually prophesied to the date, to the years that Jesus would come. So everyone's anticipating. Herod thinks, oh, wow, I know what I'll do. I'll just burn up all the records. They won't be able to establish a Messiah. But uh, uh, too bad, Herod, uh, the Holy Spirit preserved genealogies. Every devout Jew had them. Uh, and so that's where... you know. Uh, at the beginning of the book of Luke, actually, you know, Luke uh, went to. Uh, he says he carefully investigated all the facts that were in his book. Same thing with Matthew. He and and so he gets this uh, gets this uh, genealogy. It's it's from actually the family of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, and he that's what he begins this book with. Now, this genealogy. Is one of the most extraordinary revelations of God's grace and mercy in the Bible. And you may wonder, well, how do you get grace and mercy out of a genealogy? Well, let me explain. Okay, and and, and now I'm just gonna go into to, to really the heart of the message here, which is the grace and mercy that you see in the record of Jesus' descendants. One of the chief characteristics of a Jewish genealogical record is the conspicuous absence of any mention of women. They didn't mention women. Now, I hope I don't kill you by doing this, but turn back really quickly to chapter 23 of 1 Chronicles. First Chronicles, just really, really quick. I just got to show you this. First Chronicles. Uh, You go to the beginning of the Bible and you, what, you go in about 400 pages, 486, something like that. Anyway, chapter, go to First Chronicles, chapter 23. And the Bible actually is filled with genealogies. And the book of Chronicles it has a whole bunch of them. In fact, chapter 23 through chapter 27 is just a series of genealogies. Genealogies, again, were very important to Jews. The Bible is a historical record. It's not a book of fables. Someone told me sometime refer, I was sharing with uh, a, a man the, the, the what it says in Genesis he goes yeah there's really that's really interesting myth there and I said well it's not written as a myth <laughs> it's right, because right after the story of Adam and Eve a genealogy proceeds from that and anyway another one is here in in, in chapters 23 to 27 and just look very very quickly here verse 8 of chapter 23 the sons of laden verse 9 the sons of shimei verse 10 the sons of shimei verse 12 the sons of cohab verse 13 the sons of amron go to chapter 24 verse 3 then, Zedek, then David with Zadok or the sons of Eleazar and Amalek, the sons of Ithamar, verse 4, the sons of Eleazar, verse 20, the rest of the sons of Levi, go to chapter 25. It refers to verse 1, the sons of Ahab, Asaph. Verse 2, the sons of Asaph, Zachar, Joseph, Nathaniah. Nith- verse 3, the, of Judith, of Judithin, the sons of Judithan. Verse 4, of Heman, the sons of Heman. Verse 5, the sons of Heman. And then chapter 26, same thing. Verse 2, the sons of Meshelmiah. Ooh, verse 4, the sons of Obed-Edom. Chapter 27, same thing. It just goes through the sons of the children of Israel. And you would be hard-pressed in any of those chapters to find the mention of a single woman. Now, if you go back to Matthew, and everyone looks alive. That's really cool. No one died doing that. The Bible's really cool. But, but, but you go back to, to, to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, you see the mention of five women. Actually, in rather short order. Look at verse 2 of Matthew chapter 1. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Verse 3. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar was a woman. Okay. Verse 4 says Ram begot uh, 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 Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salman. Salman begot Boaz by Rahab. A woman. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. A woman. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Another woman. Okay, so let's pause And consider what's going on here. Actually, if you go to the book of Luke, there's a genealogy there. No mention of women. Why does Matthew do it here? Let's talk about that. Among other things, this is done here at the very beginning of the New Testament. The very first verses, the first words of the New Testament as a deliberate move of the Holy Spirit to demonstrate the abounding grace and mercy of God. Now, why do I say that? Now, it's true that Jesus liberated women. If you don't believe that, just go to the Middle East where the that where Christianity no longer has any influence over society. And there you will see what it was like to be a woman prior to when Jesus came. He liberated women, but That's not, I believe, the thrust of where Matthew is going here. But let me show you what I mean. Again, verse 3 says, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, who was Tamar? Who was Tamar? Who is she? Well, Tamar was a woman, and not only was she a woman, she was a woman with a reputation, Tamar. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Who, by the way, we'll see, was another man who was in the direct line to Jesus. Judah was one of Jacob's 12 sons. Judah was the father of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah. She was the daughter-in-law of him, Judah. Tamar was married to Judah's first son, a guy named Ur. The Bible says that Ur was a wicked man, and the, and the Lord struck him dead. It actually says that. The Lord killed him. It's a verse in the Bible describing what Lord did to Ur. Wow. In order to follow Jewish law, Judah gave Tamar, this woman in verse 3 here, to his second son, Onan. Because Jewish law said that if a man died, you were to give his wife to his brother. That's Old Testament law. You woman breathing a sigh of relief here, you married <laughs> ladies. <laughs> but the Bible says Onan too was wicked and the Lord struck him dead. Wow. Now, after seeing his first two sons drop dead after marrying uh, his, his this woman Tamar, uh, Ju, uh, uh, Judah's looking at his third son and going, "Do I want to give that woman to that guy?" And he doesn't. Which was really for the, the, it was clearly forbidden to do what the Old Testament law said was what he did. He 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 sent her back to her father and. To be a widow. Even though there was another son, a guy named Sheila. And and so he sent her off, big no-no, and she became greatly distressed. And she was very well aware, as everyone would have been, of the wrong that had been done to her. So what does she do? She takes off her widow's garments. She dresses up like a prostitute. She goes to a place where she knew Judah, her father-in-law, would be. And she seduces him. And she sleeps with him. Judah never discovers who she is because she had a a veil over her head. During this encounter, she steals some of his personal belongings, his ring and his staff. He goes his way. She goes her way pregnant. That's who Tamar is. A few months later, Judah is told that his daughter-in-law Tamar played the harlot. And was pregnant. And what does he say? He, he declares, bring her here. We need to burn her. That's what he said. Wow. So she's brought to Judah, this woman, uh, Tamar. And of course, you know, Judah's in a rage until what? Until she produces the goods. Hey, you recognize this ring? Do you recognize this staff? And he's humbled and even declares she's a better person than me in spite of this thing that she has done because I disobeyed the law of God. So anyway, she gives birth to twins. Their names, Perez and Zerah. Verse 3, let's read it again. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Jesus Christ, that little baby who broke this 400-year silence with his cry in the Palestine air, was a direct descendant of Perez, the son of an incestuous, adulterous, really, really weird, <laughs> twisted encounter Jesus Christ was. Now, if man had written this book, there would have been this long genealogy with the most holy, lily white, impeccable characters in it. For example, would man have chosen this guy Judah? Or would he have chosen Joseph? I mean, Joseph is one cool dude, but he's also one perfect dude and a lot different than me. I mean, he has just, you read the life of Joseph, and it's, wow. That's why a lot of people think he's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ to come. But God doesn't choose Joseph. He chooses Judah. So many people stay away from church because they think they've led a lifestyle or have done whatever. And there are parts of their past which are so ugly, so far out, they could never be accepted to God. And then uh, a lot of times they get into church and they look around. This happens all the time. All the time. They look around and say, I'm not one of these people. I'm not one of these people. Oh, the glorious day when they begin to read the word of god the bible says this of jesus hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 in all things he has been made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest that's talking about jesus jesus are High priest. And then in chapter 4 of Hebrews, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Now, Jesus, it says, he knew no sin. He never sinned. And he doesn't, and, and because of that reason, you know, he doesn't, he, he never sinned, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't understand the stain that sin produces on a life or a family record or a family history. Tamar was his direct descendant. But, but let's go on. doesn't stop with Tamar. Verse 4 again says, Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab the prostitute? Yes. Rahab the prostitute, the harlot. Israel had come out of Egypt where they were slaves. They were on their way to the promised land, but the city of Jericho was in their way. Moses sent spies to Jericho to spy out uh, the land there, and they made their way to the house of Rahab. They made their way there because the Lord "'Drew them to that house, Rahab, a prostitute. "'It would have been no surprise to the people of Jericho "'to see these men coming in uh, uh, their house and leaving. "'When the men of Jericho showed up at her house "'to ask where the spies went, "'she told them they had left after hiding them and on, the, on, the, "'on top of her house.'" God credited that to her as righteousness. People have argued for ages until they're blue in the face, whether it was right for her to lie. It's not the subject of the sermon this morning, but God was not ashamed to count her a prostitute into his direct lineage. And then it says, Boaz begot Obed, by Ruth, another woman. Ruth, Ruth, was not Jewish. She was not an Israelite. She was a a what? Moabitess. She was a descendant of Moab. The Jewish people hated the Moabites. Now, who was Moab? Well, remember, we already talked about Abraham. He was that first man that God drew out of the world, which was just being consumed by sin, and and he sent him to the promised land, and who accompanied Abraham? Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Everyone still with me? Yeah. What does Lot do? After a while, Lot sees Sodom, or the plain before Sodom, Now, when you hear the word Sodom, it's like, what happens in your mind? Ooh. Sodom. Ooh. Louder. Sodom. Ooh. Sodom's like a wicked place. And he goes to the plains of Sodom. Eventually, he winds up in Sodom. Right before God destroys Sodom, God destroyed it by fire, the angel of the Lord went to Sodom and took Lot out with his wife and two daughters. They escaped Sodom was destroyed, as well Gomorrah. They escaped to the mountains. The daughters start to freak out, like no one is left. We're all by ourselves. We've lost our husbands. The husbands were mocking them. We're not going to leave here. The husbands stay behind. We lost our husbands. We're not going to have any kids. What do they do? They get Lot drunk, and they, the, Lot's daughters, bring him into bed, sleep with him. They both got pregnant by Lot. You say, Man, this Bible, what's with, what's with all these stories? How come they didn't show these? They didn't tell me about this in Sunday school growing up. Let me tell you, it's a real book. One of the daughters of Lot gave birth to a son, and his name was Moab. And that guy just went his own way, created his own religion, and by the time the, 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 the Jews show up going on the way to the promise line, they're just really wicked people. But along the line, you know the story of Naomi. She, her husband died. She went, got Ruth, and, and it says that's who Ruth is. Ruth, the descendant of Jesus, a Moabitess. Again, the descendant, Jesus, in his direct line. A descendant of his, the product, again, of a really strange, weird encounter, the kind that doesn't even show up on our TV in 2012. I mean, just really ugly stuff. God is not ashamed to count her And include her in his lineage. Verse 5 verse 6 says and Jesse begot David the king David begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah referring to who? Bathsheba. Bathsheba who left her husband out in the battlefield and went to David. Adultery. So These women were placed in the genealogy of Christ to be a conspicuous, follow me now, a conspicuous, meaning a very loud and clear reminder of the abounding grace of God. God, the Bible says, He was not ashamed to have these people in his direct uh, uh, line of descendants. And the Bible said he's not ashamed to call you, regardless of your history, a son or a daughter. In fact, Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, he he cries out to the Lord. There's a quote from him in in the book of Hebrews where he says, Here I am with all the children that you have given me. God has taken and made you an adopted son, an adopted daughter through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's not, of course, that men in Jesus' line were any pillars of goodness, of virtue either. In verse 2, we read of Jacob. We know about him. He was a liar, a schemer, and he wrestled God into submission. Verse 2 says that uh, Jacob begot Judah. Again, Judah rather than Joseph. Judah, in addition to doing what he did with Tamar, he, he's the one who sold Joseph, probably the most righteous guy in the Old Testament, to slave traders. Verse 6, it says, Jesse begot David. We know what David did. He drew another man's wife, a trusted uh, warrior of his, his wife, to his own bed and then killed him to cover up that she was pregnant. It says in verse 6, it says, David begot Solomon. Solomon we know from the Bible left the faith of his fathers and began to practice the religion of his many wives 1 Kings chapter 11 is is a bewildering bunch of verses about Solomon it says King Solomon loved many foreign women Moabites Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said, "You shall not intermarry." He clung to them in love, and they turned his heart to other gods, including Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and Molech, meaning child sacrifice. This guy, Solomon, in the direct line of descendants of Jesus, and and you know, and then in verse ten uh, of this, it says, "And Hezekiah begot." Uh, Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon. A- Ammon begot Josiah. All these guys—they're they're, so—they they definitely had uh, th- their flaws. Manasseh, it says, he reigned for fifty years in Israel, and he says he killed the innocent blood of so many people that the that the city of Jerusalem was filled with blood from one side of the city to the other. This guy, uh, Manasseh, and 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 Uzziah. It goes on here in uh, verse. Uh, where's Uzziah there? Ooh, verse 9, okay, back one. Uzziah begot Joseph. Uzziah was a leper. Lepers were unclean. They they couldn't go to the temple. They were outcasts. Again, all of them deliberately included here. Big-time rap sheet here in, in Jesus' record, his genealog- genealogical record, but it was the fact that Matthew departed from custom and tradition by including women that would have caused a Jewish reader to pause and think, now wait a second, what's going on here? If it had been all men, they would have read right through it. Okay, yeah, good, line of of Messiah, I'm good with this. And they would have just sort of read on. But the fact that he so deliberately includes these women draws us in. Okay, why did the Holy Spirit do that? It's this message of grace. Now, don't lose sight of who the writer of this book is. The writer of this book. Matthew. Matthew grew up in church. He was a Levite. He grew up with all the privileged parents teaching him the word of God and, and growing up with just all the richness of the temple, all the privileges of someone who grows up in an environment where the Bible is taught and people are taught about God. But what did he do? He departed. He left it all. He became a traitor, and he, began, he, he, he became a rip-off, a rip-off artist, a tax collector. That's what they did then. Tax collectors were, were hired by Rome. They, they were told, you raise this amount of money and everything about the, above the amount you give us, you can just take for yourself and we're not going to impose any rules on you. And so they just went out and they squeezed the people of every last shekel, penny, that they had. And they lived a, a, a life of, of luxury and abundance. And, and And you know they would have feasts and 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 they would have these parties and and you know and and all this stuff and and they would and, and the Jewish people would look at this, look at these people they're squeezing us of our livelihood and they're living in palaces. they were hated. well, we went in Luke chapter six over the story of Levi matthew's name was what Levi Jesus changed it to matthew and and the story of Levi thinking, surely, surely. I could not turn back from my lifestyle after all the privilege growing up in church, all the privilege that I grew up with. Surely he, this man Jesus, this Messiah, this anointed man, one, this one who is doing miracles throughout the land, surely he's not going to take me back. Yes, he will. Just look at his record. Just look at his line of descendants. Matthew takes human tradition... And as grace so often does, he just throws tradition out the window and says, let's tell the real story here. It's a story of grace. It's a story of mercy. And then the last verse, verse 16, it says, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And that's who was born. On that morning in Bethlehem. That's who was born. The Son of God, Jesus, Jehovah saves, God saves, Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Christmas is a time where we do recognize. God's love for us by giving gifts to one another, but oh, oh, how wonderful it is just to bring in this message of grace into our Christmas, into our houses, into our families, into our workplaces. This this, this message of grace. Of course, Jesus went on. What did he do? He lived a perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice, and died on our behalf on the cross. The Bible says the penalty for our sin is death. Death and judgment, everlasting judgment. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He died for us. He raised to give us new life. The world's doing everything it can to just yank Jesus out of Christmas. Man, it's so wonderful just to open the Word of God and just bring it in with all its fullness. Actually, the worship team's going to come up at this point, and we're actually going to end with a couple of a uh, couple of of Christmas songs at this time and but uh, if you have never come to the place in your life where you have recognized the one thing that everyone who goes to heaven and everyone who enters into a relationship of God must recognize at some point in their life, if you've never recognized that you've tried with your own self, with your own selfish ambition to build your own kingdom, and you've never put that aside and said, forget that. I want grace. I want Jesus. I want the Son of God. There are going to be folks after the service, uh, some prayer folks here in that corner and that corner, and, and and they're going to be up, just come up there and just say, you know, I, I've never done that. The Christmas, I've celebrated Christmas my whole life. I myself knew what Christmas was my whole life. I celebrated it every every year. I knew facts about it. You know, Jesus came into the world, and you know, the manger and these little cows and donkeys around them, and this type of thing. But I never knew, really, that he came in. And he died and he rose again so that I could have that perfect everlasting relationship which we began uh, with this morning where Psalm 16 says, God says, I, I, I will show you the path of life and in your presence, God, is fullness of joy and at your right hands are pleasures forevermore. I never, I never knew I could actually take those words and they could become my language. Psalm 16, verse 11, again, you have shown me the path of life. In your presence of fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those are just, that type of thing was just words on a page. I never knew that they could actually go into my heart and and be reality. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. They can be a reality if you, again, turn from your sin, turn from your life building your own kingdom and simply open up your heart to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he raised to give us new life. It says that Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open up your heart and ask me and I will come in. So as we just end with a couple uh, worship songs. Uh, if you've never done that, come on up and pray. Or anything else that's stirring on your heart, you can come up and pray. But why don't we rise now? We're gonna sing a couple uh, Christmas carols. I, I'll pray and then we'll begin. Father, we just thank you for this word. I pray in the name of Jesus that, uh, yes, Lord, that we would be walking, breathing Christmas messages, even as if, even as your truth has just uh, becomes a part of what we what we breathe and live what we breathe in and breathe out lord jesus that message of grace that that comes out even from a genealogy lord we thank you for it and i pray lord please bless our comings and goings as we go out and our time with our families this week as we celebrate the birth of your son lord Make us worshipers this week of what you've done. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. By the way, there is service tonight. We're starting the book of Ezekiel if you'd like to come back. God bless you.